0: You're listening to Fed Talks, Episode 3, with Jimmy Chrisman. Thed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. I'm Jimmy Chrisman, and I'm a theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week, my hope is to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. Thank you so much for listening this week. I'm very excited to bring this interview to you this week, and I hope you will enjoy it. Um, Barbara Mager was a theater teacher in the Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools area. Uh, she taught at McClintock Junior High School before it became McClintock Middle School and then uh, the last 20 years of her career she spent at Butler High School uh, with a fantastic program. Barbara is a well-known name and face and voice in the theater education world in North Carolina. Uh, she has won many awards through the North Carolina Theater Conference, or NCTC, which she'll reference. Um, she's participated in the Bloomy Awards, which is a kind of a high school Tony Awards in the the Charlotte area in that region, uh, where the winners of the Best Actor and Best Actress award go on to perform at the Jimmys in New York and compete in that competition. So, it's a um, it's a pretty big deal, pretty prestigious. Uh, competition. So Barbara has done it all. Barbara was my cooperating teacher for my student teaching experience, and um, it's no news to her. Um, I was absolutely terrified of her on my very first day, but I uh, I grew to love her. Um, I grew to respect her. And I, I learned so, so very much from her. Because we are real people, because we do have real lives, sometimes in these interviews you may hear background sounds such as dogs barking or dog collars rattling or even telephones ringing. But I um, hope you do forgive that. I do try to get as much out of... Uh, much of that out of the the interviews whenever whenever I do the editing, but sometimes sometimes you just can 't but I think there's some really good information given uh, during some of those times, so I, I do keep a lot of that information so thank you for understanding that uh, so I hope you enjoy that interview a little bit later on, but I want to first make sure you know that you can always contact me at email at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Theater Ed talks, Tumblr. You can always visit our website at www.fedtalks.com. So without any further ado, let's meet Barbara. Well, we are excited to welcome... One of my very favorite people in the world as my guest today on TED Talks. I don't even know if Barbara realizes it, but Barbara Maker was the inspiration for this podcast. She was my cooperating teacher during my student teaching a few years ago. She retired, and she's going to tell you a little bit about that. But I think I, Barbara, I think I had a little bit of an existential crisis when you did that, and I think like a, it gave me this weird realization of of my own mortality, and. About all these people that I looked up to and looked to as mentors, including you and Matt Webster and Lorraine Shackelford, and I wanted to find a way to capture your stories and wow. to have a way to have those people who inspired me uh, be able to inspire other people and through, through their stories and, and their experiences teaching theater. So welcome to the show. Glad to have you.
1: Thank you very much for those kind words, too. Well,
0: they're very well deserved. So, tell me a little bit about your career. I know your last school you were at was Butler High School in Charlotte. So, tell me a little bit about um, your experiences teaching, how you got where you are now.
1: Oh Lord, it's a long story.
0: Good, talk to me.
1: When I was a mere babe in the woods. <laughs> um, I um, I grew up in Huntington, West Virginia. When people think of West Virginia, they think of the mountain and the hillbillies. And but I was in a little university town where Marshall University is in Huntington, and uh, I went to to Marshall University there in Huntington, and it was a great college. I put my education up against any of the North Carolina colleges that are down here.
0: Those are fighting words.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, but it was a great experience. I graduated undergrad in three years. And uh, started substituting, but I substituted for two years almost every day. One was a long-term sub job that I taught journalism. I, was, I had a I had a bunch of certifications in different areas. I started working on my master's in English because at that time, Marshall didn't have a master's in theater. And they, in fact, I didn't even have a theater degree. It was called uh, speech and I think it was just called speech, actually, that covered, encompassed everything from debate to theater, oral interpretation, everything. And I had journalism background, too. So I took journalism classes. So anyway, I started doing that and um, then started in the third year. I had a full time job teaching English. And in one class, usually beginning teachers, the principal says, would you mind doing the yearbook or newspaper? Or cheerleaders, or something like that. And I was green, so I said, Oh, I would love a yearbook class. Um, and we put out a little newspaper once in a while, too. But it was over with, like in January. And I said, What do I do the second semester? Could I have a theater class? Could I have, make those kids do speech activities and giving speeches and doing little monologues and dialogues? And he said, Sure, whatever you want to make it, it's yours. His name was Lonnie Scrag. Can you believe it? Oh. Right <laughs> out of Lil Abner. And he, um, <laughs> the, the school was Cox Landing Junior High. And Lonnie gave uh, an excused absence for boys, any boy that wanted to go hunting for a week with their fathers and grandfathers. No girls, mind you. <laughs> but it was an excused absence because he always took his kids and he went. Anyway enough about Lonnie. (laughs) But in his uh, defense, he did give me that great opportunity to start teaching a little bit of theater. And I had a blast doing it. So I kept on thinking, how can I do this all the time? This is much more fun. I enjoy teaching English too. And writing and grammar, I always like that. But I really want to teach theater. So then I was transferred to a high school for three years. Where again, I did speech activities and I taught English and I did a little theater. And I kept on coming down to Charlotte to visit a good friend that I'd known since high school. And every spring break or Christmas break or summer break, I'd come down to Charlotte and I just fell in love with Charlotte. And I found out that you could get a job teaching theater all day long, every day. And that every evening, if you wanted to, you could go see a play. Somewhere in Charlotte, there was a play going on. So every time I would come back home, a good friend said it would take me longer to get back into the reality of Huntington. He said, when are you going to realize you need to fly? You need to go. And I was a hometown girl, never lived anywhere else but my hometown, scared to death. only knew three people in Charlotte. And when I was 32 years old, I felt like I should try it. And I came down to interview and I interviewed, by that time I'd had my master's for quite a few years. I was part of the West Virginia Writing Project too. And I was interested in improving writing skills of of students. And so with that, I came down and not only did I interview with the school system, I interviewed with three or four different colleges around. And... In actuality, the the public school teaching job paid more than the colleges did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I said, well, that's a no-brainer then. So I took <laughs> a job uh, that I ended up having for 10 years at um, McClintock Junior High, which later became middle school, and had a great principal for seven of those 10 years who got the nod to start Butler High School. And he could take five teachers with him from the school. He took a math, science, social studies, English, and theater teacher. He took me. And people said, why are you taking a theater teacher? Why not a coach? Why not another um, basic teacher? And he said, schools get a lot of attention, not just with sports, but with fine arts as well. Well, he had my heart. And (laughs) uh, for the next almost 10 years, he he took care of me very, very well. And, um, he, he trusted me and I started a program which not very many teachers have the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know that, mm-hmm. um, it's a rare opportunity, usually coming in and taking somebody else's place that's been there a while and it's hard. The transition is always hard to take over somebody else's program, but I got to start my own program and, he let me have free reign. He, he gave me money for tools that I could uh, build a build sets with and everything. And he just wanted me to be self-sufficient so he didn't have to give me any other money. So I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll keep on doing plays. So we got into the habit of doing 10 to 25 plays a year. <laughs> <laughs> and one big Broadway style musical. And then my second year there we did um we started doing NC North Carolina Theater Conference, NCTC for short. And the first year I didn't go, I, I watched, I didn't take a group, but I, I didn't know how they did a competition down here, a festival down here, like they did if they did it like West Virginia. And after going I said, Well, heck I could do that. My kids could do that. And so we started going and we had a pretty good run there. For 20 years, I was at Butler. And so in that 20 years time, we racked up a number of awards and a lot of opportunities. And I'm proudest of my kids getting recognized and getting scholarships to colleges. That's, That's something I'm probably the proudest of because if I had a senior that... I knew couldn't go to college unless they had some financial help, and I by that time I knew a lot of people in different universities around North Carolina, and so I would pull them aside and say, "I want you to take a look at my kid." We go on the play he's in goes on at one o'clock or whatever. You know, keep a lookout for my kid. He'll he'll do you right. So we got a lot of scholarships for kids that way. I was very proud of that. The reason I stopped when I did. Was twofold. My husband was ill, and uh, also I was old. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna in April that year my last year I was gonna turn 62, and so I had 30 years in the North Carolina system, had nine and a half, almost 10 years in the West Virginia system. So I had rolled that over into an IRA. So financially, I knew I would be okay if. I retired and at that time I could draw my pension and social security, and also I wanted to be with with Rich as much as I could that last month or two of his life. And so I took a, a medical leave of absence for the last month and a half of school and just started my retirement at that time. Unfortunately, he passed away May thirty first, May thirtieth of that year, and so then. It's like, what does an old theater teacher do in retirement? I would love to direct somewhere. However, Charlotte's very political in theater companies choosing directors. I've found out that it's kind of hard to get into.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Unless you've been working with the groups for a while. And as a full-time theater teacher, I never had time to actually be in plays as well, trying to keep up my job and my health and my husband's health and in the community. So in the past 30 years I've lived here, I haven't done any community theater in West Virginia. I did community theater all the time. Even, even, um, was on the board of one, one group, but anyway, that's in the future. I still think I might be able to to do something with one of the groups around here. But I've also been judging. I'm like a professional judge now, it seems. I've <laughs> theater festivals in the fall and music theater in the spring. And I even did an ROTC judging assignment for some kind of fun because they were doing presentations and kind of like senior exit mm-hmm. uh, things. And um, so I've been doing that too. <laughs> And taking care of my doggies and redoing my home a little bit. So it's, it's time to do something else, but I'm not quite sure yet what I want to do.
0: I am sure you will find something to get into because you're always busy. You're always doing something. So when you retired, that was my biggest worry for you was, what is she going to do with herself? Because she never stops. So <laughs> well, and,
1: that, and that's a big thing for anybody in any field, I think. I'm, I remember when Rich had to retire because of his health reasons, he worried about what am I going to do all day by myself. It's you know if you can continue to work health wise, I say work until you can't do it anymore. But in education, they don't want teachers to last longer than twenty years. I don't think in North Carolina anyway, because they have to pay you more. They can hire somebody right out of college and pay them a lot less, and so they. The last the last year that I taught, I actually made $150 less than I did the year before. They gave raises to the younger teachers, but the older guard they completely ignored. And it just showed me where education was headed in North Carolina, unfortunately. And my whole thing is we have to start running our own people for public office in North Carolina, I think. I even thought about that, Jimmy, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
1: in West Virginia, I was, if I had stayed in West Virginia, the theater organization at that time started running the, I mean, the, the, the teach, the teachers organization started running their own teachers for offices all over the state. They would find places that were vulnerable to kick out the old guard and get a new person in. So they said, well, why not run a teacher in that position? And so they were being successful in that. For years and years, West Virginia had been like 49th in salaries. They always said, thank God for Mississippi. That was always the lowest <laughs> they in pay. And then there was West Virginia. And then by the time I left, they had gone up to about 30 because they started running teachers in offices. If I had stayed, I was 32 at the time they were talking about me doing that in the next year or two. My father had been a businessman there all of his life and everybody had name recognition, which Mm. was helping. But I was always interested in politics. I was always interested in the law. I thought about going back to school and going, getting a law degree, getting into politics at that time. But who knows? I may do it down here.
0: Well, you, you, you certainly are very well spoken. You're, extremely intelligent and you have quite the reputation among teachers Um, not just teaching theater but just in general you're kind of the icon so (laughs) they know who you are and they listen to you you're a leader
1: well I'm old if you've been around long enough people know you
0: (laughs) I just want everyone to know that she keeps thinking I want her on my show or to talk to my students because she's old and that's not the case (laughs) But I don't don't think I'm going to change her mind on that.
1: I don't have gray hair though; I cover that up. But um, (laughs) it's like when I started judging, they said, "Well, you you know, we can't put you in certain areas because you know those teachers." And I said, "Honey, when you've been around as long as I have, you know almost every teacher—they know me." (laughs) And you know, trust me for being open and honest.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I can't help it if I know the teacher at that school because I've been around that long. And then for 20 years in uh Charlotte area, I taught the new theater teacher workshop.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So every new theater teacher that came to Charlotte Mecklenburg <laughs> had my workshop. So I knew them. Did you have to go through that workshop? Cause you're my student teacher. Did you still have to go through the workshop?
0: I had, I, I did. I'm trying to think. I, I don't, I don't remember having to do that. I I just remember I remember going to the first all all teacher meeting.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and Mark Propes made me do. I'm a little teapot in front of everybody. Um, and he talked Why? about who moved my cheese a lot. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember sitting through your workshop.
1: <laughs> I love Ed Speak and all the little books and the things that everybody has to jump on that bandwagon and.
0: Well, that was the one that year because he, he just kept saying it. I remember you looked down the row at me a couple of times and you was like, who moved my cheese? <laughs> and you made me laugh. So
1: <laughs> That's so funny.
0: <laughs> I want to go back to something you, you talked about a little bit ago and you talked about your relationship with your principal. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that and how, how you maintained that good relationship and you were able to build that trust with him?
1: First of all, I've been very, very lucky with my principals. Very, very. Lucky. A
0: good principle makes a huge difference in a program.
1: Well, the first year I taught in Charlotte, I had the guy who hired me. Should have retired probably about five to ten years before, but he was hanging on. His name was Mr. Cochran, a lovely man, wonderful man. But uh, I was there one quarter and said, oh, my God, these are not kids that I'm used to. Um, I'm never taught in inner city school. And so my first play that I was going to do, I changed uh, midstream, decided to do Juvie. Uh, Everybody that's been in theater long enough remembers um, a play called Juvie that is about juvenile delinquents, an Mm -hmm. ensemble piece. And he happened to wander in the auditorium one day when we were having rehearsals and saw what we were doing and he pulled me aside and he said, you know, last year the teacher did a nice play about Cinderella. (laughs) And I said, I'm sure it was nice. I said, but these kids don't need that. They need this. And he said, okay. And I said, trust me, Mr. Cochran. You hire me, trust me. He was very skeptical. And then after first quarter grades came out, He took me in his office and he said, I see that a lot of people have failed drama. Nobody should fail drama. And I said, I know. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) He said, well, well, how did they fail? And I said, well, I can't give any grade to somebody who doesn't try. My philosophy is if you try, you're going to at least get a C. Whatever you do above and beyond that is up to you but I won't give anybody below a C if they're trying the best they can. And if they're not turning anything in, and I showed them my grade book, and I said, zero, 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 not even trying. And I called parents, and I said, I, have, I can't pass them that way. And I said, look, you got to trust me. You took a chance on me, and you hired me based upon our interview and my experience and my philosophy, and you got to trust your instinct. I said, you give me three years, I guarantee you my numbers will double and I will give you a junior high program that you can brag to every principal in this district about, but you've got to trust me. And he looked at me really funny because I don't think anybody had ever said that to him and he (laughs) said, okay. And to his credit, he did. And to my credit, we did. Um, (laughs) We had tripled our numbers. And all grades improved tremendously. People were dying to get into my class. And um, then he retired. And that's when Joel Ritchie stepped in. And before school even started, I marched myself in his office, introduced myself. I took my chair that was opposite his desk. Principals love to have two chairs on the opposite side of their desk. And I took my chair and took it around to the side of his desk. (laughs) And said, I had that class on interpersonal relationships, too. So I'm going to sit over here with you and we're going to have a conversation. And he looked at me really funny and he said, okay. And I said, we need a new this, 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 and this. And he said, a sound system, a lighting system, curtains. And he said, are you that good? And I said, my kids are. And I said, come in and watch us. And I said, you're the fair-haired child right now. You're the, the new kid on the block. They're going to give you money that you say you need to make your school better. And we need this to make you look better. And he said, okay. And within that year, he got a new sound system and curtains for us. The next year, we got a new lighting system. He took my performing group to all these different places around town, showed them off, had them perform schmoozed with the big shots trusted me he said always tell me what you're doing if there might be a problem so I won't be surprised and so we had a top level class at the junior high school mind you that every year would do a teenage problem play Mm -hmm. some sort of problem that they wanted to present a play on whether it was divorce alcoholism, teenage alcoholism. We did one year, they decided they wanted to do sexually transmitted diseases other than AIDS, because AIDS had taken the game to a, another level, and people had forgotten about other sexually transmitted mm. diseases. These were ninth graders at the time. So I went to them, and I said, I found this play, and the kids want to do it, but it's, it could be controversial. And I said, here's my plan for it. We are upfront about it in every publicity thing we do from the beginning. We do it on a night free to parents and kids. And afterwards we have next door in the cafeteria, we have a little um, health fair where we have specialists, counselors, brochures, literature, everything, and a dessert and, and, refreshment coffee or or cokes or whatever so the parents could watch the play go next door get the literature get something to eat and drink sit down with their kid and talk about what they just saw and he said i love it and he supported me and we didn't get one bad phone call we didn't get one letter or call downtown complaining about us Instead, we got parents coming to us crying, saying, thank you. I didn't know how to talk to my kid. And this was the perfect avenue for that. So he trusted me from the get-go there. And then when we went to Butler, when he took me to Butler with him, the first play we did there, we did a night of 2-1-X. And the first play had, um, it was a futuristic play that showed One character taking a gun and killing three people who wouldn't conform to the government. And then the second play we had was a play, an ensemble piece, that uh, one of the characters identified with his father who was abusive to him and um, used language that was very strong, but nothing more than a hell or a damn. And after about the third dam or something, down front, we had a parent and his father and his wife stood up and marched down angrily down the um, aisle and stormed out. And so our police officer who was there looked at the principal and me and she said, you want me to go first? <laughs> and we said, yes, please. So she went and came back and he said he she, he wants to talk to the director and the principal. So we both went out there, and it was a minister. Now, the funny thing about all this is his daughter was the one who had the gun in the first play that shot three people down. He didn't have a problem with the violence that was shown. He had a problem with using dam in the second play. He was a uh, pastor at the Church of the Living Water, which I always thought was a weird name as opposed to the dead water i don't i don't know what that meant. but he said he would have his congregation come picket the school if we were going to continue doing theater like that i tried to calm him down and said if you will watch the play you will see how he does, the the character discovers that's not the way to communicate with people that love and understanding comes through other means. And it's a beautiful message and one that you could even give in the pulpit if you chose to, but he, he didn't see fit for him to go back in. So my principal supported me and he looked at me at one time and he said, that's nothing compared to what we did at the junior high. And I said, so what do we do here? He said, <laughs> we got to know our audience. And then we got to shake them up a little bit. And uh, I said, okay, I'm for that. The next, his daughter, by the way, was just mortified. She was one of my finest little actresses. She was mortified and apologetic. And I said, hey, it's not your fault, honey. So the next play we did, she played an alcoholic. <laughs> and the next play we did, she had to kiss a black student. I was kind of daring this father to come by. <laughs> he really irritated me. Uh, <laughs> I wanted everybody to see what this guy was. And he never, ever came back, and his church didn't pick it, and everything was okay. And by that, we, had a, we started getting a reputation in the area for uh, doing fine work with low budget. And I'm not a technical theater person, so our sets were not that great. I admit that. But I'm proud of the work that we did. We were the first in the area to do plays like we did the student edition of Avenue Q. I mm-hmm. uh, had a different principal at that time, and I went in with him before the play. We had 17 possible issues with the school edition, and he, I explained it. He okayed everything. We didn't have one phone call. We were the first school in the area to do um, Adams Family, first school in the area to do Hairspray. What else did we do? There's another one that we were the first school in the area to do. Oh, Spelling Bee.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so there, in all those shows, there was something that could have been questionable, but nobody ever questioned us. We We did okay. So the principals of during all of the, my stay, about 20 years at Butler, I, I lucked out because usually a new principal comes in and they're wary of rocking the boat because they know a lot of eyes are on them. But I had a couple of break. My The one principal that I have for, had for two or three years had been our assistant principal for years before that. She was the one that I had the most problems with. She didn't. She took me in the first day and said, "Please let me have the job for at least a year before you do something controversial." (laughs) And um, I wanted to do Godspell, and and she said, "Well, you have to talk to the Jewish leaders of the community and find out how they feel about it, because you've got New Testament." So I I did. I did what I was supposed to. We were not granted whatever the permission, or they said, we would rather you not do it. Hmm. So we didn't do it. I tried three different times in my teaching career in Charlotte to do Godspell and I was turned down every time, which I, you know, to every principal, I said, you know, they're allegories, right? You know, they're good <laughs> parables, good stories that tell good messages. And still some people were too, it was too risky. But then I could do some of the other stuff I did.
0: Then you did Avenue Q. <laughs> yeah,
1: Avenue Q. Now the school edition is different than it that. is. It is. But still, there was some things in there, and even in Spelling Bee, you know, you had you have the dads, but we didn't get you know we didn't have any problems with that. I think the kids and the the parents would have been fine with it. It was just the pretense of. And we didn't even have that big of a Jewish community in our school, but they didn't want the appearance of us going against town leaders whatever but anyway my all my principals did very very well by me. I don't have any complaints. I have known teachers that had no support
2: mm-hmm.
1: from their principals, and I'm sorry I couldn't work in that that environment if it were. If it were me in that place, I would have had to leave. I'm, I'm a little bold. <laughs> <laughs> Don't chuckle too much at that. <laughs> and I, I speak my mind sometimes to my detriment, but I have to be true to who I am. And I could not work in that kind of environment. Yeah. I have to be able to have a working relationship where I feel that I can go in and talk and be listened to and be considered. Mm-hmm. And I, I think every teacher and every worker, period, should have that. I had an issue back when I first started teaching, and my dad, my dad was one of these strong, silent types that didn't talk much, but when he did, you listened.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He sat me down. He worked for himself. He had his own sporting goods store at the time. And he said, when you work for someone else, you never have the last say. The only way you're going to have that is if you work for yourself and you're your own boss. And that always kind of stuck with me because like, for instance, the newspaper a few years ago decided in their infinite wisdom, they were going to start publishing the salaries of all the teachers in all the schools <laughs> for the public's information, like Who cares? But they started doing that. And I didn't think that was right. But again, my father's voice said you work for someone else. So you have to do that.
0: I think one of my favorite stories you told me during my student teaching with you was, I think it was one of your early times, the early days at Butler and because your classroom was the theater Mm -hmm. and they had something booked in the theater and you had nowhere for your class to go.
1: Oh no, that was at McClintock.
0: That was at McClintock. Yeah.
1: Well, we had the multi-purpose room. The, the It was like the auditorium classroom, whatever. And, and uh, my thing was, I always said, let me be the auditorium director, co- coordinator, anything that has to go out in the auditorium, I'd get, i know about it first. I get the okay or whatever. And so go, do you want to go ahead and finish it? You that can or?
0: finish it. Cause it makes me laugh. Oh, um, it.
1: <laughs> well, I came in one day and the custodians were setting up the chairs and I said, what's going on? And he said, Oh, there's an assembly in here. Second, second period or first period. And I said, Oh really? What is it? And he told me, I said, who's in charge of that? He said, Mr. Ritchie. And I said, Oh, okay. So when the bell rang for that class to come in, I said, get all your stuff. We're going to Mr. Ritchie's office. And he was somewhere else. He had gone, he was at at the gym or something before he went upstairs. So we went on to his office and we all sat around and we were having class in his office. He goes and has his assembly, comes back to his office, or gets the assembly started, comes back to his office. And I just looked up and I said, can we help you? and he kind of looked around at all the kids and they, they had deadpan expression. Thought it was like the most natural place in the world. To be. And he just looked around and he said, um, no, I'm good. I'll, I'll talk to you in a minute. And he walked out, backed out of his own office. We finished class, the bell rang, the kids all left. I said, okay, see you tomorrow. Babe. And I stood at the doorway and then he came and joined me. And he said, point made. <laughs> And I didn't have to say another thing. You didn't have to say another thing. Um, We had an agreement.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's my favorite.
1: That might be a little ballsy of me, but I'm not allowed to say that on a podcast.
0: We can do whatever we want. (laughs) Um, You've talked about how you did 10 to 25 shows in a school year
1: did the same thing
0: i did not do that many but i blame you for how many i did
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you know one night might be three one acts
0: right right
1: you can count those or something might be student directed or student written or something but you'd have them performing my thing was you're not even going to make any money unless you do a show to have people come and pay money to see the show that's how you build your program Mm mm-hmm so I'm sorry, go ahead. I no,
0: you're fine. You're fine. I wanted to know how how you found a way to take care of yourself doing that much.
1: Well, <laughs> that was a an issue for a while. For a long time, I was single. Mm-hmm. I was 39 years old before I got married. And um, so I could do whatever I wanted to. I didn't have to answer to anybody. And it was fine. And then I met Rich. And right after we got together and got married, um, I saw my friend who uh, was a fellow theater teacher, but had taken leave of absence because she got cancer. And Mm -hmm. she she was not doing well, and she knew what was happening. Her name was Martha Guzman. And we happened to run into each other at a Theater Charlotte production. And she said, oh, is this the man? And I said, Yes, this is Rich and this is Martha. And she just held both of our hands and she said, I have to tell you something. She said, For years and years, I did the same thing you did, Barbara. I lived at the school. And uh, her husband, Leonard, traveled a lot for business. And she said, Now we have very little time together. And look at all that time we wasted. Hmm. And she said, don't do what I've done. And she said, Barbara, change your ways. And I did. I changed my ways. I was gone from the school and home every day after that by six. I was home by six, unless it was a show night, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, If I had papers to grade or something that didn't get graded at school, they would wait for another day or two. I didn't take homework with home with me anymore, unless it was like at the end of the semester and I had like simple test to grade or something or simple grades to input or whatever. I would do that very rarely though.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: learned how to budget my time at school better because that made an impact on me. When I went to her funeral, it was not a funeral like I had ever seen before. It was a celebration of who she was and people, I left after two hours, it was still going on. I had somewhere else to go. I had no idea it was going to take that long, but she had written her own funeral with the help of hospice people. And she did not, she said, there could be plenty of tears if, if you're crying and laughing at the same time. She wanted people to get up and tell stories about her funny stories and principals were there and teachers were there and students were there. And I said, man, that's, she made an impact. And then I saw her poor husband who missed her so much and had missed her way before that. Mm. And I decided I didn't want to be that way anymore. I finally found the love of my life. And I was going to come home to him every day and try not to think of work. When I was home, I wanted quality time with him. And that's what we did for the rest of our marriage. And when I was having a especially hard time, like if it was musical rehearsal time or whatever, I would come home and Rich would have wine and cheese and crackers and things laid out for me. And he'd say, tell me about your day. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect helpmate husband, and we had we had a better life because of Martha Guzman. It's hard though. It's hard. I've got um, I had issues of control issues, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I started letting students do a little bit more than I had ever done before. Better for them, hard on me, but better for me. So i was mm. doing that too. I think you have to find what works for you, but your home life, your partner in your life is much more important than your job. I'm sorry. It is. It took me a long time to realize that. But, and, it,
0: and, and it took you putting, putting your own, um, boundaries and limitations of what you would accept.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it did. And I, I had, I kept on remembering something that, I, um, college professor had said over and over and over again, we do not make mediocrity an art form. So I had shows that weren't going well because students refused to invest everything in them. And so I start I started canceling shows. We're not going to do it. And I would never have done that before because to me, part of the educational experience is let them see what happens when you don't work hard. Mm-hmm how bad the show is, you know, and, and then I started thinking, no, I'm not going to do that unless they come to me and say, we're going to change what we're doing. Then I'm canceling it. It's not worth my time. And then they soon realized that they started doing better.
0: What are some of a couple of the most impactful moments over your career that have, have shaped who you are as a teacher in person?
1: Impactful moments. It has to be with the kids. The coolest thing about Facebook to me, I know, you know, I should be on the gram a lot more than I am. but um, Insta and I are, are trying to become friends, but I'm still Facebook because back when I started all this and the kids taught me how to do Facebook too. Before that, we never knew what happened to our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I never had children of my own but my students were my kids and I still call, you still call your kids. Mm -hmm. Those are my kids. But now Facebook enabled me to find out what happened to all of them. And I had kids asking to be friends with me that I haven't seen in 50 years. It seems like 40, at least 40 on some of them when you're old, like I am, (laughs) um, (laughs) But I think that's cool. I have a lot. I always told my students, and I I taught in a public school. We only had one magnet school of the arts in Charlotte area. And I would tell kids, if you want to be a professional actor in the business, and it is a business, that's not what I'm going to teach you. If you really want to do that, I can advise you. I can head you in a different direction, or you can go to Northwest School of the Arts. But I'm going to use literature to make you feel better about yourself, to make you be able to cooperate and work well with others, to make you get over your nervousness in a group or in a one-on-one situation, to to have a love and appreciation of the literature and theater as an art form, and, and to be working with others. I mean, those are important life skills that you, you, we're going to use theater in order to teach you that. But if you sit, still want to go professionally, then let, I can lead you in the right direction. and We can get you scholarships and colleges and, and all that. But that's not my, my main purpose as a public school theater teacher. So I have comments from kids who are in the ministry, in law, in business, and all of a sudden they'll show up or they'll call or they'll, get me on Facebook and tell me that they thought of me or theater class that particular day in that board meeting or that presentation or a sermon or something. And that means a lot to me. That, that makes me feel really good that 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 kid got whatever he or she needed from me in that moment to help him or her in, in life in a career. My last year at Butler was very emotional because there were a lot of lasts the last Mm -hmm. ATC play, the last musical, the last, you know. And one night of the musical, kids from the past 18, 19 years came back and had a group picture taken on the stage. They hadn't been, a lot of them hadn't been back since they graduated. And they wanted uh, the course teacher and me in the picture with all of them on that old stage. And that was kind of cool. You know, they've got babies now and they're, you know, they're successful and they're, they're happy. And those are the, those are the things that mean the most to me that they got something from my class or from me. Um, I was hard on my kids. You know that. I I believed in firm discipline. I think kids from all walks of life do better knowing their boundaries and knowing what happens Mm -hmm. when they step out of those boundaries. And you've got to be consistent and you've got to be clear and you've got to discipline with love. And I think if I had asked my kids, this is what always amazed Rich, that I could turn around and give a look or a gesture, or whatever, and he said, "If you ask that kid to go stand in the corner on his head, he'd do it and not even ask why." And I said, "Or how long?" Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, "You want me to demonstrate?" <laughs> but you know, that's that's because they respected me, and they loved what we were doing together, and they knew what would happen if they didn't do it. <laughs>
0: That, um, I think, wasn't your last year at Butler, my last year at South Point? I think it, yes, yeah, it was. Um, because you, I forgot what show you were directing that year, but the Bloomies were doing a video or a a piece about you.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and they were about several different schools, but you were one of the focus, Mm -hmm. focuses of their pieces and they...
1: They did one
0: on you They did, but when they were there to talk about and to film my kids in our rehearsals for Susicle, they interviewed me about you. <laughs> and I don't know if my I don't know if my 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 interview ever made it into the final video for for yours, but I had that interview on the same day as my first dress rehearsal for Susicle, because we were opening that Thursday, and that was the same day that I got the call from ISU that I would gotten the job. Oh, so it was, that was a hard day. <laughs> full, circle, full circle, though. That was a hard day. Um, so yeah, I, I get a lot of the, how a lot of those lasts, um, yeah. and how they all were kind of crammed in that last little bit of time. But
1: how long were you at South point?
0: I was there for 12 years.
1: 12. Was it that many?
0: Mm-hmm. I was at Vance for five. And then I went to South point for 12.
1: I oh, see. I don't even remember
0: you being
1: advanced for five was mm-hmm. more like three. Yeah. Dang. Time goes.
0: <laughs> well, you were, like I said, said before, you were my cooperating teacher for my student teaching. And I know you have had lots of student teachers come through and you've helped a lot of first year okay, teachers. I
1: didn't.
0: Do what'd you say? <laughs>
1: Some made it and some didn't.
0: That's right, and some shouldn't have. So you know, <laughs> you were you were very good to, to help weed those out. That's a good thing. <laughs> I think that's well, a good thing.
1: I don't think that the profession needs anybody else in it that doesn't really, really want to be a teacher for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever I would get someone that shouldn't be in the teaching profession. I would talk to the supervisor first. Look, I'm getting nowhere with this person. This person's not taking my direction or criticism uh, to heart. And if it gets to the point where I think he or she's hurting my kids, then you got to take them out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to put up with that. Because I have to take the program back after the student teacher leaves. And so I got to be known as the one who would Get rid of student teachers. Sometimes <laughs> early in the game, and sometimes in the middle of the game, but that's okay. I'm all right with that.
0: Well, and I've become some, all right with that.
1: I had some good ones too.
0: Mm-hmm. Really good ones. I've become all right with that, and especially over this last year. My, um, I, I think my first year at ISU, I was, I was very hesitant to say anything because I just I wanted to keep a job and yeah. <laughs> I needed my classes teacher. full. Yeah. But I, I've become very okay this year with letting students know when they're questioning if this is their mate, this should be their major, and especially freshmen on the first day that I have them, I'm like, I'm not going to beg you to stay in this program. I'm, I, if, if this is not for you, this is way too much work, and there is way too much on the line with those students in your classes in the future for me to be okay with you going into a profession that you don't want to do. And, and I've, and they've, yeah, yeah, I think they appreciate that.
1: <laughs> well, it's like, if you want to continue with theater study, yeah, let's go another Avenue. Let's go another route here. But teaching's not for you. You're not mm-hmm. happy. To me, a teacher has to be called to teach. Agreed. You have To feel like you couldn't be happier doing anything else, but teaching. And if you say, well, yeah, I could do this or I could do that. That'd be cool. That'd be, I'd be paid a lot more in a teacher. Then go do that. It's the ones that say, no, I've always wanted to teach. I've really. mm-hmm. And let's face it, your educational classes, other than when you take the class that we used to call methods, mm-hmm. which um, you got a little bit of hands-on, you know, standing up in front of a group of kids somewhere, not every day, but you, you did, you planned a lesson and you presented it and, and you discussed how it could be better and what you did wrong and all that. Until that happens, you don't know how you're going to be. You don't know if that's really what you want to do. And then your student teaching, man, you know the first week of your student teaching, whether it's for you or not. And I always said when I started, when I did my student teaching, my teacher threw me to the wolves early. Mm -hmm. And it was a good thing for me because, to me, if the classroom teacher is still there, it undermines the student teacher's authority in a lot of ways that, like, if something comes up, the kids will turn and look at the real teacher instead of the student teacher. And so you're never going to get your respect due to you. Now, what I like to do was go in my office, which was adjacent to the classroom, or I would like to go kind of sneak somewhere where the kids didn't actually know I was there. So they would start believing that the teachers in front of the room was indeed their teacher. And that gave the student teacher more of a feel what it was really like in the class. Now, I'm not going to send them out there totally by themselves, you know, without... Knowing that they can handle it, um, I had one student teacher that what I did with her is for the first couple of weeks she did warm ups, mm-hmm. and she you know she she was very good at it, and then it came time about three weeks in, and I said, okay, you're going to take the beginners, and tomorrow's your day. Are you ready? And she'd say, yeah, I'm so excited. I've got it all ready, and that day came and she didn't show up. she didn't call she didn't call her university supervisor I was on the phone going where is she what happened and she had spent the night before all night long with her parents crying telling them this was not for her Oh! (laughs) and I said I had no inkling about that that one totally blew me away because I thought she was going to be great because she did great on the warm ups and her discipline with the kids was good, and it, but when it came time to actually teach, she realized, no, that's not for me. She wanted to be a performer, I think, mm-hmm. and her parents wanted her to teach, have something to fall back on,
0: which I hate that expression. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I I always tell my students that I, I'm teaching them, and I, even when I had student teachers when I was still in the classroom, that you're getting all this theory, you're getting all these ideas and, and things that you're going to be able to use when you teach. But I didn't feel like the real learning happened until I stepped into your classroom during student teaching and where it all made sense. It started clicking. This is how I do this. And as you've seen all these different student teachers come through and different people you've worked with, What are some of the big lessons you've seen that they've learned during that time?
1: To take care of themselves and get enough sleep. Number one, because college students aren't used to that. (laughs) They're used to staying up a lot later. And I mean, we get up at the butt crack of dawn. Let's face it. Teaching teachers have to get up way too early. So you have to go to bed earlier. You have to take care of yourself, eat right. That's the first thing. Uh, The other thing is Always prepare more than what you need, you know, just in case a lesson goes faster than you thought it would. The kids caught on faster. And then the other thing is what we call the big F word, flexibility.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Make sure you have something else you can do if things not working. And let's face it, you can do the same lesson in first period and again in fourth period. And they're totally different, and so you have to you have to figure out how to manipulate the lesson to make it work for that group at that time. I, you have to plan for the unexpected. You have to have something else that you can do. I I think you cannot plan too much. You know, and I've seen a lot of people come in with not enough planning mm. here's a, Here's another thing this is a little going back to what you said earlier. You are in a different position than most people doing your job at the university level. The reason being when I was in school, the people who were teaching kids how to be teachers had not been in a public classroom sometimes ever mm. and sometimes it had been thirty years at the university level those people who teach students how to be teachers need to go back into the classroom and see what's going on this is why i, I admired matt for what he did a, a colleague of ours that he taught at the university level for years taught what you're doing teaching people how to be teachers and then circumstances being what they were he took a job in a high school, in a brand new high school with a really hard clientele. And to try to put the things into motion that he'd been telling kids to do, he found was not as easy as he thought it was. <laughs> and I thought it was the biggest thing for him to do. And was very brave. Uh, not a lot of people would do that. They would say, okay, this is what I thought it was. I'm out of here. But he stuck to it for quite a while. But that's my complaint about the colleges, that they had not not been in the classroom. They had not tried to go through what regular teachers have to go through day after day after day. Let them sit through a high school uh, staff meeting on a Wednesday afternoon. (laughs) See how they put up with that. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I ventured off somewhere. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I just have two final questions for you. Um, and they're the same as what you, what I asked you with my students when you spoke with us a couple of weeks ago. What is a resource that you used that you would recommend for new teachers or even current teachers who've been practicing for a while that are looking for new things to, I don't know, to, to spice up their classes or, or utilize in their practice?
1: What's, what's the Harry Wong book?
0: first days of school
1: first day of school it must have been 10 15 years ago when i was doing a my workshop the um, charlotte mecklenburg schools gave all new teachers that book free and then since i was teaching the workshop they gave me one now i've been a veteran teacher for years but i, I looked at it and i couldn't put it down there were things that i thought well that Why didn't I think of that? How easy is that? I think that book is great. I changed the morning ritual of all my classes after I read that book. Of doing journals, of the discipline saying hello, calling kids' names as they walk in the door. Because I was always really, really bad with names. It took me forever to learn kids' names. And realizing how important that is to the kid to Mm -hmm. feel a connection with you. Just simple little things like that. I think older teachers need to be awakened sometimes to to simple, basic stuff like that. So I, I recommend that book. Another thing I, like, I always like to do was on planning periods, go in and watch other teachers that you respect, mm-hmm. that you admire, or that you hear the kids talk about. Mm-hmm. The kids will tell you the best teachers in the school. They're usually the hardest teachers. Mm-hmm. The most disciplined also some of the best senses of humor go see how this one teaches this novel go how go see how this one keeps their attention in math goes I always think that's kind of cool and I would do that even though like my last year of school I did that. Uh, I dropped in on it ask, ask a teacher first of course can I drop in and just sit in the back somewhere and just watch and all good teachers will say sure no good teacher. Would say no to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Only the paranoid bad teachers would (laughs) do (laughs) that. Just like I always said, that teachers, any teacher worth his or her salt, would go to any workshop that you actually thought you would pick up something to help you. It's the workshops that have nothing to do with what you do day in and day out that you start resenting those Mm -hmm. workshops, so called workshops. I've wasted a lot of time in a lot of workshops, but the ones that were good that I could grab something to help me, man, I would have stayed in them for another two or three days if I could have. Oh, theater. Um, what's the, um, theater folk theater folk has that yes. Institute mm-hmm. thing. That's pretty cool because they gave me a free one year subscription to it. When I was, uh, when I let them, to the presentation in my new teacher's workshop one year. And I used a lot of stuff from there.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It's really good too for substitute ideas too.
2: Yeah.
1: I like that. And I think everybody should go to festival, whether you take a play or not. I think you ought to go and see. I think you can learn by watching other Mm -hmm. stuff. uh, There's a teacher in North Carolina. Her name is Judy Osborne. She's at Union Pines. And I stole stuff from her all the time she's one of the most creative innovative directors in blocking and use of props and staging and i i stole stuff from her yearly i think we learn from watching others who we perceive to be better than we are we're different i think we get stuck in a rut if we just
2: mm-hmm.
1: do our own stuff What's safe i think you have to try something different I would, for years I was known in North Carolina to do comedies for a festival, and one year I said, I'm going to do a heavy drama, or I'm going to do a Moliere piece, or I'm going to do a, you know, and I would just try something, I would always take two shows, one was usually safe, and one was not, for me. Mm Mm-hmm. And those were the ones that I enjoyed the most, I think, but I was trying something new, trying something different.
0: I always found challenging myself. And um, I have a few students in particular that I can think of who who challenged me to challenge myself and to push myself out of my comfort zone or to try something new. And that's when some of the work that I'm most proud of came out of. Such as? Tarzan. Um, when we did Tarzan. Hmm, it, it was. And I, I, I think – I'm thinking of Justin Norwood specifically, who, who said, how about we not cast every single person that auditioned this year? And I'm like, well, tell me what, what, you th- what you think about that. And he said, well, how about you pick exactly what you need for the show and it be the best of the best in our show, which is against my philosophy because I want as many people to be a part of it as possible. I want to keep ma- helping the program grow. And, and I said, I'll think about that. And, and we did that. I I, I went that route. Um, and Justin, along with a couple of other students in, in that group, particularly during that time, wouldn't ever let me just settle for something. They'd be like, okay, that's a good idea, but how can you take it a step further?
1: Isn't that something? It, it, it was,
0: was. and
1: you taught him to be able to, to come, come up to you and say that though. that's pretty cool
0: yeah it was cool and and like I said it's just some some of the things that I've been most proud of that have been where I've been pushed out of my comfort zone so I get that what are your parting words of wisdom for teachers
1: love it or don't do it (laughs) I'm totally totally Mm -hmm. serious it's very simple love it and when you don't love it anymore get out the reason I taught for so long is I promised myself when I started, because I could count on one hand how many teachers that i would had in public school that I thought genuinely cared about me as a person. I wanted to be that kind of a teacher that kids knew I cared about them. And I said, when it's not fun anymore or when I'm not effective anymore, that's when i want to get out. And luckily for me, I think I was effective up to the last year that then, you know, circumstances being what they were, I, I couldn't go at it the way I wanted to, but boy, they gave it back to me when I needed it to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think that's the most important thing. Love it or don't do it.
0: Find I agree. Else. That's a good words. Well, thank you so much for, for talking with me today. It's always oh, good to chat with you and catch up.
1: Anytime, anytime. I love you. And you, this podcast thing is kind of cool.
0: It is cool. i have to have you back on later.
1: Well, you have to let me know. Um, send me the thing on how we can see it. Because a couple people wanted to see it. so I
0: will, I will definitely send you that information.
1: Thank you, Mommy.
0: All right. Wasn't she just delightful? i love barbara maker so much and i am so grateful to her for all the guidance over the years not just during my student teaching but for the years after that i could always go back to barbara and ask questions ask for advice ask for a play ask her to come in and watch a rehearsal or a dress rehearsal and give me some feedback on things so barbara's really special to me and it was really lovely sitting having that chat with her and and like she and i said to each other afterwards um we were texting each other, and I thanked her for being on the show. She, uh, she said it was just like sitting having a conversation with an old friend, and, and that's exactly what I wanted it to be. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope you got a lot out of it. And uh, I hope you do check us out next time uh, with, uh, with my future guests uh, next week on the podcast. I want to make sure, again, you know how to reach out to me. Um, you can always email me at thedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at theateredtalks, on Tumblr, fedtalks.tumblr.com. You can find me on Facebook at FedTalks, Instagram, Fed Talks podcast, and, of course, our website, www.fedtalks.com. On the website, you can find our show notes and uh, transcripts, as well as past episodes. So please go on any of your uh, podcast podcasts, Providers uh, subscribe to the show, rate it, review us, and then of course share it with people who you think might benefit from the show and enjoy it. You can subscribe to TED Talks on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, any pod, and tune in. You can also find us on YouTube. Just look for TED Talks. Again, thank you so much for joining us. I want to make sure I give a special shout out. Thank you to Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schusterman for the use of the show music, Magnetized. Um, Hope you join us next week. Thanks for listening.